All right, as they're finishing that, I want you to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 61, and we'll be digging into that in just a little bit. It is the classic, probably the most exciting passage in all of Isaiah. We talked early on about the fact that the first 22 chapters of Isaiah are about the birth of Jesus, the second 22 are about the life of Jesus, and the last 22 are about the Messiahship, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, and the future kingdom that's coming. So we're getting to the part now, uh, we've got three weeks left, and we're in chapter 61, and this is the classic passage about who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. So don't ever trust your preacher. You bring your Bible. You bring a Bible on your iPhone, bring scrolls, which we'll see was used uh, in the text here that we're going to get to today. But you always check out what anybody says with the Word of God, right? All right? Don't trust me. Don't trust any man. You trust the Word of God. Welcome to everybody online, Palm Bay and Deland. We're so glad that you're there. God bless you guys. Thank everybody there who served faithfully. We love all of you guys. All right, Volusia County Fair time. How many of you have already been out there to get a deep fried something? Bunch of old people. Man, the kids are all rolling. All right, no, okay, well. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but William Ferris, the guy that invented the... Never met the man that created the merry-go-round. They ran in completely different circles. <clears throat> there was also a situation at the fair last night. I know you maybe you didn't have time to read the paper, but apparently there was a guy that started throwing soda bottles at some people. I think we have we actually have a photo of the yes, there they are. And apparently they threw twenty-three soda bottles at a guy, and the police said had he thrown one more, they would have made a case out of it. I can just go backstage and drink tea. It's okay. All right, stand with me out of respect for God's Word. This is when it gets serious. <clears throat> You're going to know, I think, this passage, but we'll read it, and then I'll tell it to you again. So here we go. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. So when, when Isaiah writes this, People are thinking, well, is this Isaiah? Well, the Spirit of the Lord was on Isaiah. But this passage is talking about when the Savior comes, when the Messiah comes, when the one who's going to rescue his people comes. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of a crown of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Then to verse 10. 
I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden cause seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. So, Father, I ask as we open up your word today that you would speak to us. There are so many people here that this is a, a message, a springing open of truth. They've been beaten up by life. They've been beaten up by the world. And yet Jesus said, I came to change absolutely everything. So, Father, I pray that you would go to work in us. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. All right. So Jesus came to bring light into the darkness. Now, I'll, I'll prove to you that this is about Jesus and about halfway through this message. So just stick with me. But the Lord came to bring light. When you go back to Genesis 1 and the creation of the earth, what, what do we know about the earth? It was formless and dark. God himself is light. All right, we know that from multiple passages in the Gospel of John. We know it from 1 John chapter 5. God is light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And light, interestingly enough, is the only element that does not break down. Did you know that? That's why you can see a star, and that star may be millions of light years away, traveling at 186,000 miles a second. That's how fast light travels. And I can sit on my back porch, I did last week, and looked at Saturn and Venus and I think Jupiter. All three were out around the moon. And that light is just as straight and true and pure because light does not degrade. That's why God uses that analogy. He himself is light. Eventually, if you go travel far enough, light will diffuse itself. It will, it will, it will spread out. The photons will spread out. But light itself truly never goes away. Now, as a guy who spent a lot of time inside caves or out in the woods at night, when it's truly dark. When you're out there in the darkest of the dark, it only takes a little bit of light to change everything. All right, this room is so much fun when you guys are here. You should come in here on Sunday night when all the lights are off. It's a little weird. But you know what? I can stand anywhere in this room and I could light a match or I could turn on my phone and that little bit of light will light up this whole room. Now, not like it is now, but that light will diffuse the darkness, right? That's, that's how light operates. And it says, when Messiah comes, the spirit of the sovereign Lord will be upon him. Now, don't miss this because we could spend, we could probably spend a month just going through that first two verse section there where he talks about all the things that Jesus is coming to do. What's he coming to do? Set the prisoners free. 
Well, that could be a physical jail. It could be an addiction jail. It could be a sexual jail. It could be a greed, a greed jail. It could be any number of things that you're struggling with. He said he comes to bind up the brokenhearted. Brokenhearted over a child. Brokenhearted over a, a prognosis. Brokenhearted over a divorce. Brokenhearted over death. He comes to put the pieces together for those who are grieving. And eventually, because of who, who Jesus is and what the Messiah will do for us that he will turn our ashes the ashes are a sign of grief you put the ashes on your forehead to show that you're grieving and hurting and suffering he says i'll trade that in for a crown of righteousness jesus came to bring light to us and i don't know where you're bound today but i'm guessing we're all there i put myself in places like that when I've been underground, when you go to a coal mine or you go to, you go to a cave and you get down far enough where light is truly shut out, where you can no longer hear anything and you can no longer see anything, that's where most people, think about this, this is where most people live spiritually. Now, you know what it's like. To, it, it's one thing if you're sitting in darkness, but you don't get to sit in darkness. He says, you walk in darkness. Now, most of us have a hard time in our own bedroom walking around in the dark. Our toes are beat up pretty bad, aren't they? And the furniture has been in the same place for a long time. And I dare say you know where the light switch is. But you're sure you can do it this time in the dark. Of course, somebody left something. All right. My mother, we, this is a side note, my mother, we used to go out, and I swear, she did it on purpose. She would move the furniture around in the living room because she knew we'd come in at night, and we would not turn on the lights, and you'd walk into a couch, fall over a chair because mom had decided to... Did you have a mother like that? Just, she'd get tired of where the couch was, so she'd just move it to the other side of the room. I don't know. i just put the couch there, leave it alone. I don't know. But anyway... But we, we, we walk around, but you've got people, you've got most of our society, and if you look at what's playing out in our culture today, don't you see that? Do you think people want to hurt as bad as they're hurting? When you look at the anger on people's faces, when you look at the bitterness on people's faces, when you look at the suicide rate, the alcoholic, the drug addictions, the porn issues, you pick it. You, look, you think people want to be miserable? I don't think so. But the only way to get out of darkness is for somebody to turn on the light. And we're here today. Maybe it's you. Maybe you're watching at home. Maybe you had a real dark night last night. I want you to know the light of Jesus is there for you right now. If you've not accepted Jesus, this would be the time. Come up front after the service. People on both sides. There's a button online you can push. Uh, see Pastor David, Pastor Ben. We're all here to to help you. We have a baptism day to day at 3.30 out at Andy Romano. But let me tell you, last night, maybe one of the most moving events that have ever, it's ever happened here. We had a family of five, um, four generations, a family from Mexico, and they were all baptized last night. And it was, it was, it was emotional for those of us who are not even emotional. Let's just, let's just put it that way. But Jesus said, I have been anointed 
and I will bring good news to the poor. Now, that word's twofold. It can mean poor physically, all right? And we talk about that a lot. That's why we work on the Indian reservations. That's why we work in the Appalachian Mountains. That's why we work in the inner cities. That's why we work in the poorest countries in the world, because God meant the gospel to go to everybody. But more than that, the word means poor in spirit. And Jesus uses this phrase in Matthew 5, and it means people who think they have the world by the tail, but in truth, they have nothing. They're poor in spirit. So whatever it is that has entangled you, imprisoned you, uh, puts you into the mess that you're in today, that when Messiah comes, which Jesus proves that he, that he was the fulfillment of this, when he comes, he will turn the light on so that you can get yourself through his blood out of that prison. Isn't that good news? That's what Jesus came to do. But then the second thing is that Jesus revealed himself to be just that. Please check me out, but I'm going to tell you the story. Luke chapter 4. Jesus has been doing miracles. He's been teaching. And everywhere Jesus goes, he's being lauded. People say, we've never heard anything like this. This is the most amazing teaching. Where do you get this? This is incredible. Well, Jesus finally goes back to his hometown, which is Nazareth. Born in Bethlehem, went to Egypt, but he lives in Nazareth, probably from age five or six until he's 30, until he goes into the ministry. He lives in Nazareth. He works in dad's carpentry shop, which is an English word. The word is a tecton. He was a stonemason. So Jesus works with his father and they make stones. They're building Roman cities is, is primarily what they're doing. So Jesus goes back to his hometown in Nazareth and he walks into his own synagogue. Now this is where he grew up from age five to 30. So everybody that's in church that day, I'm just going to use that word for our benefit. Everybody that's in church that day knows Jesus. You with me? Everybody knows who it is. All right. Here's a picture. I'll just show you. This is one of the most incredible things in archaeology. This is called the church synagogue in Nazareth. This is the place where Jesus made this speech that I'm about to tell you about. Uh, it dates from the first century. And if you look just to the right of this, it's where Joseph's shop was. We, we actually uncovered Joseph's shop. We just signed there that says Joseph. No, it's just... But we do know it was, a, it was a tiny little town, and we know that this was Joseph's place, and literally about 100 yards away is Mary's house. We know where Mary grew up, so it's not surprising that Mary and Joseph would have gotten connected, okay? So in this room, and if you go with me, uh, Charles Melanie and I will be going... If everything works out in April, we'll, we'll go to Israel and Jordan. We'll take you to this spot. We'll relive exactly what I'm about to tell you. There's also a trip to Israel and Malta. That's all out in the lobby. You can check all of that out. So Jesus comes into the synagogue, and you can see there's benches here. Uh, they would have, a lot of people would have stood. Um, in uh, Jewish times, the, uh, the rabbi sat down and everybody else stood up. Just in case you're wondering why we have you stand for the reading of the Word of God. So Jesus is called up front and handed the Isaiah scroll. 
They kept the scrolls wrapped up in velvet cloth. They unroll it, hand in the Isaiah scroll. Guess what text Jesus goes to? Isaiah 61. And he stands up and he says, The sovereign Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, to break the shackles. And he goes through that whole list, and then he sits down. And it said that the room went silent. And everybody just stared at him. They were amazed because they're like, could this really be the Messiah? Could this be the one? But then Jesus says this. He says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What was he saying? I'm it. I'm the Messiah. So then he begins to answer questions. You have to read the text. He begins to answer questions that they don't answer, that they don't ask. He's reading their minds. And he says, I know, you're saying, isn't this Joseph's son? And you're saying, well, if he's the son of God, why isn't he doing the kind of miracles here? And Jesus goes off. Now, remember, here's what happened. He shares the passage. He says, I am the fulfillment. They're in awe. They're like, you are the man. Then he blisters them. He says, I have never seen such little faith in my life. <clears throat> you want to know why God did miracles up in Syria and God did miracles over here? He said, because there wasn't enough faith in Israel to get anything done. That didn't set real well in the synagogue. So these people that had known Jesus all of his life, they grab him and they drag him out of the synagogue. And they drag him up to the top of the hill there in Nazareth. And their intent is to throw him off and kill him. It's a few hundred feet drop off of that hill into a valley called Armageddon. Just give that some thought. That's where everything's going to end. It's when the last battle in Revelation where God wipes out man, okay? And Jesus... Let's them drag him all the way out there. And then it says Jesus walked through their midst and walked away as if to say, not today. And what's he trying to prove? What was the point of the reading of scripture? What was the point of the statement? What was the point of walking through their midst? Anybody? That I am the fulfillment of scripture. That I am Jesus. That I am the Messiah. Now I'll tell you on a personal note, Pastor Ed Marshall and I, a couple of years before Ed went to be with the Lord, one of the probably one of the coolest three day spans in my life. We got we got put on the sixth floor of an apartment building there in Nazareth, and we would have coffee every morning with our feet on the rail, and we would sit. And Joseph's house is here, Mary's house is here, the hill that they took Jesus to is here, and we're drinking coffee, looking into the Valley of Armageddon. That's what Jesus would have seen every single day of his life from age 5 to age 30. He would have seen the beginning. He would have seen the redemption. He would have seen his own deliverance. And he would have seen the end of time all in one scope of his sight. So Jesus came to bring light into the world. But Jesus also came to prove that he was who he came to be. Now here's what's sad about our culture. 
And it, it is the reality that fear is a bigger motivator than hope. Now think about that. My friend Bob Fisher wrote that. Bob's a counselor here in town and just a brilliant, brilliant man. And Bob said, it is so difficult even working with Christians because fear has more power over people than hope. And he said, somehow we as the church have to flip that scenario so that people understand that hope is the key. When Jesus got up and said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. I get to preach to the poor. I get to set the captives fee. I will heal your broken hearts. Listen, there's not a person in this room that is not covered by one, two, three, or maybe all of those statements that Jesus made. But Jesus said, I came to be the victory for all of that. And then when you get to the end of it, he says, we should rejoice. Look at verse 10 and 11 again. Where am I at? Here we go. He says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in God because he has brought me salvation. So what is the reaction? What is the reaction that we should all have to the light coming into the world? What is the reaction that we should have knowing that Jesus fulfilled that and that he heals our broken hearts and he walks us through this life and when we get to the end that we've still won? Right? It's rejoicing. What is rejoicing? Anybody? Isn't that what we gather here for? Is to rejoice? Now listen, I get in trouble sometimes because I get worked up about stuff. There's so many ways to worship God. Alright? But here's, here's what I, I will tell you. All of them are active participants. You can stand. You can sit. You can kneel. You can lay down. You can clap. You can raise your hands out of sign of surrender to God. You can cry. You can laugh. You can sing. But you cannot just stand there or sit there. That does not make you a worshiper. That just makes you a person who's in the building. And that's why we put all the worship at the end. Because I don't want you to leave. I don't want you to go anywhere. I want you to stay because either one of two things. You need Jesus. You need to find all of these things that Jesus brings to us. Or you're here to say thank you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord. Every once in a while a story comes up that just gets me. A good friend of mine out in Oklahoma uh, had, a, had a friend die recently. And they knew he'd been gone for a few hours. Nobody could find him. And they walked up on top of his favorite little hill. And they found him sitting up against the tree. Had had a heart attack and he was gone. He had taken his boots off. And he was just sitting there leaning up against the tree. And his friend wrote this in his obituary. He said, I think my friend knew that he was going home. And he wanted to have the same experience that Moses had. He took off his shoes because he knew he was going to be on holy ground. Isn't that a great story? One more. In 1 Kings chapter 19, and this is going to lead us into communion, but in 1 Kings 19, it's the story of Elijah calling Elisha to be the next prophet of Israel. 
And Elisha is a very wealthy man. How do we know that? Well, if you go back and read, you'll find he owns all kinds of oxen. He has all kinds of servants. He's got teams out in the field. He owns lots of land. And so Elijah comes to him and says, God has now anointed you. God needs you to come and serve him. And Elisha said, well, I got to do something first. Elijah goes, well, whatever, just do what you got to do. So Elijah, Elisha goes home. And he takes the yoke off of the oxen. I know that's not a term we fully understand. But a yoke would have been a heavy piece of wood, probably oak or something, that links the ox together. So they pull together. He took all of the yoke and he built a fire. He killed all of his ox, oxen, and he had the largest barbecue we've ever heard of. Now you ask, why did he do that? And the answer was that Elisha didn't trust himself. The text doesn't tell you that. I'm telling you that. Elisha knew that when things got tough, he would be tempted to say, you know what? I go back to the farm. I got land. I got oxen. We're just, it's okay. Thanks God for the opportunity. But Elisha eliminated all of his options with one big party so that not only could he not go back, but all of his family and friends knew the commit that he, commitment that he had made as well and that he could never turn back. And Elisha goes on literally to change the world. When we come to communion, that's what we do. This is the time to leave things behind. It's a time to confess sin. It's also a time to confess self-pity. I don't have to be brokenhearted anymore. I don't have to be... I don't have to be grieving anymore. I can trade in the ashes for a crown of glory. This is what happens when we come together. It's a reminder not of fear but of hope that is to come. So if you'll take your communion cups. I don't know. Someday maybe we'll get past these. I don't know. I haven't thrown anything on the floor for a while. but So the bread represents Jesus, his body. And what is it? It's a hope. It's a belief that Jesus really did raise from the dead. And one day, because of the hope and trust that we've put in him, that all of my brokenness will be forgiven and we'll be in a place of perfection. And by the same token... The cup is the picture of the blood of Jesus. It's, it is the picture of the price that was paid. You want to know how your wounds were bound up? You want to know how your broken heart got fixed? It was all done through the blood that was shed. So, Father, we're grateful now for all that you have done. And you've got to make the application. Some people need to turn the light on. Some people need to get back to the light. But for the next few minutes, we're going to just delight in you. We're going to sing. We're going to laugh. We're going to cry. We're going to clap. We're going to raise our hands. Some may kneel. We're going to delight ourselves in you because you have preached the good news to the poor. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.